starts out with some really broad kind of themes. He starts out explaining what God is like and what, explaining what God is doing in his people and explaining what he did for us through Jesus Christ. And then he moves into more specifics about how that works itself out in our lives. And that's kind of where we pick up this morning. And then a little bit later on, it goes through how God works or how the Holy Spirit works in our lives in specific situations in our lives and specific relationships. And so this morning, we're, we're going to start to look at how God uh, and how the Holy Spirit um, works specifically uh, in our lives to make us more the, the people that he wants us to be. But before we do that, this, um, when we get to the end, we're, we're going to be talking one of the big themes that Paul talks about in this, uh, in this portion of Ephesians is the unity of believers and the unity of the church. And I don't know if any of you have been to churches in the past where there's been disunity, but I know I've been to church, a church in the past where, you know, there was arguments over whether or not we should change the color of the, uh, of the hymnal because we had this pink hymnal that we had in the church for a long time, and then there was a big argument whether we should change to blue or to black because, you know, the, the pink hymnal is what, what, uh, what we needed to, to worship from. But there's, uh, there's actually um, this bulletin I looked up on the, on the internet um, from a church in Landover, Maryland. And this is what it says. It's, it's, I'm not sure if it was in, the, in a newspaper report or if it was just a bulletin to the church members, but it says, A hundred years of Christian fellowship, unity, and community outreach ended last Tuesday in an act of congregational discord. Holy Creek Baptist Church was split into multiple factions. The source of dissension was a piano bench, which still sits behind the 1923 Steinway piano to the left of the pulpit. Members and friends at Holy Creek Baptist say that the old bench was always a source of hostility. People should have seen this coming. At present, Holy Creek Congregation will be having four services each Sunday. There's been an agreement mediated by an outside pastor so that each faction will have its own separate service with its own separate pastor. Since the head pastor is not speaking to the associate pastors, each will have their own service, which will be attended by factioned members. The services are far enough apart that neither group will come into contact with the other. An outside party will be moving the piano bench to different locations and appropriate positions between services so as to please all sides and avoid any further conflict that could result in violence. So obviously that's kind of uh, a, little, a, little bit, uh, a little bit sarcastic, but... Um, in reality, there, you know, there, there often is things that come between church members and cause discord. And what Paul is writing to us is that is how God is, is, is working uh, things out in our lives, that, that we shouldn't allow those types of things to come between us, that uh, ultimately what God wants for us is for there to be peace between us, for us to be united in peace. So I said, as I said, we've been working through the book of Ephesians and, um, and, and how God has been at work in his people. And uh, <clears throat> this, is, this is what Paul says in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 in the, in, the, uh, in the first verse. I think it'll be up on the screen. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And so you remember that when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he's writing it from prison. Um, and what he's telling us is that is that everything that he's taught in the first half of this letter amounts to a calling that we have all received. Every single one of us has received a calling. So, so what does that mean and what does that look like in our lives? 
Well, Paul uses the, the word calling in several other places in the New Testament and in several other of his writings, and he, he typically wrote letters to churches. Um, and when he uses it, he usually uses it to refer to how God draws people into a relationship with him through his son. For example, in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 9, which is a, a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, he says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's called us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians um, 2, which is a letter that he wrote to a church in Thessalonica, uh, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. So Paul, even in that letter, is outlining some of the things that, that uh, God the Father has, has done for us. He encourages us, and he comforts us, and he calls us. And the reason he calls us is to be a part of his kingdom. So Paul, when Paul talks about the calling that we've, what we've received, what he means is this. If you're here this morning, and you don't yet consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he's extended an offer to you. His calling to you is this, that he chose, first of all, to make a way for you through Jesus Christ, his son. He chose to make a way for you to be reunited with him through, through the sacrifice of his son. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever felt like, um, if you've ever felt like you were made for something more, and a lot of people, um, when, they, when, they're, when they're, you know, they spend and they buy and they accumulate things, it's to fill kind of a void in their lives. When they do extreme sports, it's to, to fill some kind of a void in their life, something that, you know, they just don't feel like, like there's more to, more to life than, than what, is, is what they have. And so they do things. They, they try to develop relationships and get into relationships, and they buy things to try and fill this void. If you've ever felt like you've had this void and that there's something more that you need to make yourself complete, if you've ever longed for something and nothing that you've done or bought or tried could quite fill that longing, you'll recognize that that you're not quite whole. There's something missing there. There's a void that needs to be filled. And, and throughout the, the, the Bible, it tells us that, that we were designed for something more. We were designed to be in a relationship with God. That's what we were made for, to be in a relationship with our Creator. And, and Christ has made that way for us. So the Bible tells us that the only way that we can, that we can be in that relationship, the only way that we can fill that void is, is through Jesus Christ. Not through anything that we can do. Not through any sacrifice that we can make or not through any acts of service that we can do. Not through any list of uh, thou shalts and thou shalt nots that, uh, that we could try and live up to. Not, any, not through any right things that we can do. The only way that we can be in a relationship with God, our Creator, is through Jesus Christ. And so that's the good news for you this morning if you don't yet consider yourself a follower of Christ is that the only way you can do it is through Christ. He's already made that sacrifice. There's nothing that you need to do except accept that. And Paul tells us that, um, that when we, in, in earlier in Ephesians, that when God calls us to become a part of his family, it's through adoption. And it pleases him to adopt us. He's chosen us to be a part of his family and to adopt us in his family. And a lot of times, we, uh, I think we get this wrong impression of God that he's, he's, you know, he's the, uh, the ultimate judge sitting up on his throne, and all he does is look at the wrong things that we do in our life and that he wants to get us for those wrong things. But the reality is that God longs for us to accept his offer so that he can adopt us 
into his family, not so that he can punish us, but so that he can be reunited to us, or we can be reunited to him. Now, many of you, many of you will know that um, Krista and I and our family were in the, uh, the process of adopting a child from Haiti, and it's been a long process so far. We've been in the process for three years, and it's taken a long time, and there's not a single day that goes by where, where we don't uh, long to be united with that child, where we don't um, we don't pray about that child or think about that child and wonder um, what our child will be like. And, uh, it's a, and, and we pray for this child that we love that we, that we haven't yet met and that, yet, that we know was meant to be a part of our family. And so I could tell you that based on that experience, which is just a limited experience of what God wants for us, that God truly and deeply longs to be united, reunited with you as a part of his family. He deeply longs to adopt you, to be, um, to be his child. And there's nothing that you can do or that you have to do to make yourself worthy of his adoption. Now, obviously, that at some point along the way, there'll be things that, that uh, he'll long for, for you to change in your lives. There'll be things that we do that, will, that might... Uh, inhibit our relationship with him or might come in the way of our relationship with uh, our spouses or our partners or the, our children or the people around us. And so when, he, um, when, when we're called to correction to those things, it's, not, uh, it's so that relationships can be restored and relationships can be made whole. Relationships so that we can have the healthiest relationship possible and so that we can be the best version of ourselves that God created us to be. So that we can be in relationship with him with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors and our coworkers. And so the benefits are, of adoption are that we have access as well to whatever it is that God has to offer. So we think of when Jesus Christ came down to earth, he gave up, he gave up uh, everything that he gave up in heaven. When we're adopted into God's family, we have access to all that, and all that becomes ours as adopted children and heirs that, that, uh, that, that Christ has made us. And so that's the good news for you this morning, who may, uh, for those of you who may not yet consider yourselves followers of Christ. And if, if you don't consider yourself a follower, then I, I encourage you to talk to someone this morning um, and, uh, and, and just see how simple it is to become a follower of Christ. And I know there's lots of people here who would be happy to pray with you and, and work through that with you. Um, if you're here this morning and you consider yourself a follower of Christ, Paul reminds us, what it is that we've been called to, that we've experienced the blessing of salvation, we've been reunited to, to God, that we've been reunited with Christ in his resurrection, and we have a hope, and we know that our future is secure with Christ, that we've been chosen by God, and when we accepted the offer he extended to us, we were adopted into his family, given the same benefits and blessings of Christ, as Christ, heirs of everything that he owns. But Paul also reminds us that our calling comes with responsibility. He says that we should lead a life worthy of our calling, for you've been called by God. And as I was thinking about this and praying through this this week, um, you know, there was a couple of stories in the news that kind of brought, um, were brought to my attention and just kept uh, coming to mind and kept, uh, and, and, you know, just kept, I couldn't get them out of my head. And as I thought about this, this is, these are some of the things that I thought about in terms of calling. And the first is, um, most of you probably heard in the news this week, there was a story of an 18-year-old girl who was uh, brought to the hospital. She, was, she had alcohol poisoning. She was brought, called to the ambulance was called so she could be brought to the hospital. And most of the time, that, you know, 
this wouldn't make news. There's all kinds of people who drink underage, and, uh, and you know, we, we wouldn't really consider that newsworthy. But the difference in this story is that um, this girl was picked up from 24 Sussex Street in Ottawa. So she was picked up from the Prime Minister's official residence. Now, I don't, nobody knows if the Prime Minister and his wife were home at the time and if they were aware of what was going on. And that's not really the issue in question. But it, made, it got me to thinking, if, if that were the case, if the Prime Minister was home and knew what was going on and was allowing an underage, uh, an underage person to drink and get drunk in, the, in his house, is that um, something that would be fitting of the calling of someone who was called to the Prime Minister's office? Especially someone who, um, when, when they're talking about their opponents and other parties, um, is, talks about moral issues and moral stances. Probably not something that we would consider worthy of the calling of the Prime Minister's office. And again, we don't know if it's true or not, but it, it makes you think. Um, but then there's, there's other instances that we could think of, and I'm not naming any names, um, because I'm sure throughout history there have been numerous examples of this. But what about an elected official that was constantly in the news for allegations of drug use, alcohol addiction, associating with known drug dealers and gangsters, almost daily reports of behaviors and comments that demonstrate a complete lack of judgment, a complete lack of regard for normal social behavior. Um, could anybody consider that character as leading a life worthy of the calling of public office? Probably not. And those are, I mean, those are pretty significant callings. But when we talk about the calling um, that God has given to us, that is a much greater calling. And it makes us think that what is involved in that calling, and, and most of us, if we've been to church in the past as, as kids, can think of things that, that we were told were required for the calling of Christ, that you, you can't wear shorts in church as a kid, you can't chew gum in church, and you can't run uh, in the hallways in church. And if we can live up to those kind of standards, then we can live up to the calling of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But that's not what, what Paul says. Actually, when the first thing that he says when he refers to what is involved in the calling of someone who wants to follow God, um, the first thing that he refers to is this. It's uh, in, in Ephesians 4.2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Paul says that a life worthy of the calling of God, a life that has been changed by God, is continually being molded by the Holy Spirit and will exhibit humility and gentleness and patience and love. And that, that short list actually sounds a little bit like a list that Paul wrote to another church in Galatians. And we find that in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where he refers to these characteristics as the fruits of the Spirit. And those are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what Paul says is that when we follow Christ, when we allow the Holy Spirit into our lives, that those are the fruits that we should be growing in our lives. Those are the fruits that we should be displaying. And, and here's the thing about, about fruit. Now, now, most of us, in, in a typical day, I would say we probably, in some, of the, in, in some of the relationships that we have, don't always respond out of joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness. And so sometimes we might think of ourselves as a, as, as a little bit of a failure, but here's the thing about fruit, is that you can't make fruit. 
You can't go to a factory and say, could you turn out uh, a dozen apples for me out of your apple press? It doesn't happen like that. You can't go to um, a machine that makes grapes. You can't even go to, to Mexico and watch somebody make bananas, even though bananas are, from, you know, we can get bananas from Mexico. You can't go to Florida and watch somebody put the, the peel on an orange. All of these things grow, and they take time to grow. Fruit grows. Farmers, who grow, farmers and growers who produce fruit, um, they, don't, they don't make it in factories or mills. Now, the farmer or the gardener, uh, they do a great deal of work in order for that fruit to be produced. They fertilize it. They protect the fruit uh, and the fruit plants so that they're healthy, and they don't get eaten by, um, by pests. They, they water it. They, and they make sure that they don't get too dry, and they ensure that the plants are pollinated so that the fruit can actually grow. But basically, after all that's done, they have to be patient and wait for that fruit to grow and to ripen. And I don't think it's any coincidence that when Paul refers to these characteristics that ought to be uh, a part of a, of a follower of Jesus' lives, that he, re he refers to them as fruit. They're things that ought to grow in our lives. They're not things that we can automatically just create and just expect to be there. They take a season and they take a time, uh, time to grow. And so... Uh, we, we can't manufacture love or joy or gentleness or the other characteristics that, that Paul mentions, but, but much like a farmer helps his fruit to grow, we can help these spiritual fruits to grow. And how do we do that? We do it by being, uh, by being God's people, not just in church on Sundays, uh, but by allowing what we've experienced, allowing how uh, the worship has impacted our lives, allowing what we've heard, to, uh, to go with us throughout the week and to continue to change um, our lives and how we behave and how we respond and who we become. Uh, but even more than that, um, we need to ensure that, that we take time throughout the week to become the people that God wants us to be. We need to make sure that we do what we can to not let things into our lives, not let the pests into our lives that will uh, destroy the fruit that's growing in our lives. We can spend time in prayer and in personal worship and in the Word so that our spirits don't get too dry. We can make sure that we have people in our, in our lives who, who pollinate us, people who encourage us, people who hold us accountable, people that, that will uh, be interested in us and, and our walk with, with God, and people that, that, will, uh, that will pollinate our lives in that way. So looking back at these lists, I think it's interesting that they describe how we ought to be versus what we ought to do. It's not a list of do's and of don'ts. It's a list of who we ought to be, who we ought to become. They describe characteristics that at their very root, they serve the purpose of building others up, of encouraging others, of building relationships, of how we can be involved in a part of building God's kingdom and his family. And so in this first little bit of, uh, of the second part of Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesian church, Paul tells us, that the calling God has for us, the lifestyle that he's called us to, the people he's called us to become, it's all about building a healthy relationship. Building healthy relationship, healthy family, building a healthy relationship with him and with the people around us. In fact, the way that 
the, the way that, again, just to kind of recap, the way that Paul structures the whole letter is from very general. Here's some things about me. Here's some things about how I've worked in my people. Here's some things that I've done for you and the blessings that I have in store for you. This is how, and then he moves on to this is how you can apply these in your life. And then he moves on to this is how you can apply them in very specific situations in your life. And those situations are all about relationship. And so as we look ahead in the next few weeks, we'll learn how, how we ought to act in relationships with how, how wives and husbands ought to act in relationships, how parents and children ought to act in relationships, how um, it says in the Old Testament, slaves and masters, but how we can act in relationships with our employers as employees. It's all about relationships. And so it should be no surprise then that the very next verse goes on to say that everything that God has done for us Everything that he's called us to is to develop healthy relationships and a healthy family or community of believers. In verse 3, he says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, there's a number of things that, that uh, followers of Christ are called to throughout the first half of Paul's letter. We see the calling of the church to reveal God's true nature in uh, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, where Paul writes, God has put all things together under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So the, the secret of the church is that Christ lives in the church, not in these four walls, but Christ lives in each of us that consider ourselves his followers and his children. That's where he lives, and that's where he dwells, and that is the mystery of the gospel. Can you imagine that Christ dwelling in each of us um, would result in disharmony or not uh, disunity? It's not, it shouldn't even be possible. If Christ is dwelling in each of us, we should just naturally, there should be naturally, naturally be peace, naturally be um, unity among us. And that's what, what Christ has called us to. We see, um, again, in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. And so Paul wasn't just... Uh, and some of, the, some of the thinking earlier on in the New Testament was that, that uh, it was just Jews who were called to become followers of Christ. But Paul is saying that, that Gentiles as well are no longer foreigners or strangers. People that weren't originally just the people of God, that all people everywhere were called to become a part of Christ's families. You're citizens along with all God's holy people. You're members of God's family. And what should come along with that? Unity and peace. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And again, this is the mystery of the church. The church is the dwelling place of God. He chooses to live in and through his people. And the result of that should be a dis displays of love and kindness and goodness and peace and unity towards each other. And then Ephesians uh, 4, 2, and 3, Paul goes on to say, Be completely humble and gentle. So some of the characteristics that should be displayed as a part of our lives, humbleness and gentleness. Be patient, bearing with one, or one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. 
So Paul moves from grand, exalted doctrinal truth to the realities of our everyday existence, to the grind of daily life. He links his eternal plan to the things that we go through um, in our daily existence. In order for God to carry out his eternal plan, we have to get along with each other here on earth, in our families, in our churches. We need to be able to get along. In the situations in our lives that might be irritating or annoying and downright frustrating, God calls us to for, for there to be peace and unity in those situations. And that's the unity of the Spirit that, that will be the witness to the world um, of the reality of our risen Lord and Savior. And so my prayer for you this week is that you would ask the Holy Spirit to allow His fruit to continue to grow in your life. It's a lifelong process, a lifelong process of growing the fruit in our lives, but that that fruit would become more evident every day in the situations where you have to deal with an annoying coworker or a neighbor that you just might not get along with, that we would have, uh, that we would have peace and love for those people where that wouldn't naturally be there in our lives. My prayer is that when you find yourselves in situations, you'll ask, am I acting out of love? Or am I acting out of joy? Or am I acting out of peace? Or patience? Or kindness? Or gentleness? Or self-control? And that as we do that, we would continue to bind ourselves together in peace. Now, over the next few months, or weeks, and probably months, maybe even six months, at the rate we've been going. We'll see examples of how you can do that in specific relationships in your lives. But I would encourage you, again, if you haven't looked ahead in Ephesians, to look ahead. Because there's things in there that we could all use and we could all apply to the relationships in our lives. Things that will allow us to bring peace and love and joy where that might not have been in the past. And so I would encourage you to look ahead and to read ahead in this letter that Paul wrote. And uh, that as we do that, we, can, we would see unity in, in all of our relationships. Can I, can I pray for you? Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you that uh, you didn't leave us to slug it out alone because um, our human nature, uh, it, it wouldn't be a good thing, but your spirit changes us. Your spirit um, allows us to grow fruit so that we exhibit love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And as we go throughout this week, Lord, I ask that, um, that your Spirit would continue to grow these fruits in our lives, that we would, but that we would also take part in things that allow us and allow you to work through us, that we would take time to refresh our spirits through your Word, and through times of personal worship, and through prayer, and that as we do that, you would continue to change us into the best possible version of ourselves that we can be because we know that, we, that you can do it um, because you have evidenced that through the power of your son and through the resurrection, that, uh, the, the resurrection of your son and because we ask it in his name. Amen.